never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that believes rom-coms should be considered sci-fi because none of that stuff happens in real life anyway. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How are you, man? Uh, Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm just like, I kind of flabbergasted because I'm just trying to wrap my head around uh, that joke just now. But uh, yeah, otherwise, no complaints here. How about you? Um, it's been a, it's been a busy week. I've had a lot of stuff, uh, come yeah. down the pipe. I've done some writing. Um, I've had to, um, uh, I've been working on an adult D&D campaign. Um, and when I say adult, it's because I have the kid one I run every two weeks <laughs> for the park yeah. district. So, like, I run two kids camp, two different kids campaigns, um, for the park district every other, every other week. And then, um, I'm just starting an adult one. So I've had a kind of a busy writing week, actually. Um, that's awesome. I I feel like um, sometime you need to talk a little bit more in depth about this because I don't know what the uh, kids like age range um, you're playing D and D with, oh. but I'm kind of curious if they have a different approach than when you play with adults. Like but if there's can, like you know, we can go into this a little de- in depth on another show if you want. But to, to make a long story short, <laughs> I'm playing with uh, they're all junior high level. Um, so, and they're all little murder hobos. Uh, almost everything, almost every, almost every NPC they come to, they want to just kill it. And so you've I, just described ninety percent of the uh, D and D groups that I've been in personally. Right. <laughs> right. And um, it's really cool because I have two different groups. One of them is a very even blend of girls and boys. And the yeah. other one is a little bit more heavy on the guy side than is the girls. But what I like about it is that the girls tend to think differently than guys. And yes, I know there's that battle of the sexist stuff. Of course, girls think differently than the guys. Yeah. The girls just take it from a different approach. So when we come up to an, an issue of an ethical dilemma, the table discussion begins and it's awesome. You know what I mean? <laughs> So super entertaining. It's it's awesome to watch them like think through puzzles together and try and solve things together. Yeah, and make decisions. And there was one day that a couple of the guys couldn't come. They like had like either they were on vacation or I don't know. But the girls got handed, um, and I was like, it's okay that they're not here. We'll play and we'll catch them up and that kind of thing. And so the next week they showed up, and the girls, when those guys were not there, had to make some heavy decisions for the group <laughs> and they were nice. saying, I don't know if we should be making these decisions with other guys. I'm like, well, you're going to have to, because this is where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so, you know, that kind of thing. And it's, it's cool to watch them as a group, you know, function the, um, and then, uh, so yeah, they're little murder hobos, but I'm trying to teach them that not everything has to be killed. And, 
<laughs> there is a story that develops if you actually talk to NPCs. <laughs> so, um, you're reminding me of uh, I had a D and D group that I was playing with a bunch um, a while back, and uh, we actually came up with this pretty funny um, motto for our crew, which was it was O D K E, but that just stood for open the door, kill everything. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> That's pretty much how we played the game, and it was uh, it was entertaining to say the least. So uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I made a I made a comment about them trying to kill everything once, and then I put them in a situation where they had to question if killing the thing was a good idea or not. <laughs> right. And after that, they kind of eased off on the killing things, and I think and they've really like just sunk into the story, and now they're like super invested into what's going on, and I'm like, see what happens. So, um, and then adults and then all the adults that I've played with tend to focus heavily on the story and they want to see how things play out. So it's made it really kind of refreshing to play with adults because, well, one, I can use the language I want to use, (laughs) but at the same time, like I can be a little darker and I don't have to like. I, I can be a little bit more real with some things and not okay. twice about certain things that I say or do on the, at the table. But the adults tend to, they seem to get into it a little bit more, at least the ones I'm playing. So That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. always wanted to play with a group that was more focused on the story because most of the friends I have who are into D&D are more so like uh, – sort of like huge tactic nerds where they're all about the combat and stuff. And like, I get a little bit more into the story and the role playing and stuff, but uh, uh, I like, yeah, sounds like an interesting comparison to say the as, least. As so. a DM, I try and make the, the combat important to the story and it's not just, okay, yeah. so fight some stuff. And the outcome of the combat affects the story as well. And I try and write it that way. That's so good. It, I, I try. You know what I mean? I don't think I'm the world's best DM, but I, I try. So uh, <laughs> So what I, you're basically saying is open the door, kill everything, right? <laughs> I, I will say I will say this, and I don't know how many of my kids actually listen to my podcast, not uh, to the show, but and I don't know how many of the adult players I play with listen to the show, but I will say this. There are puzzles I've tried on the kids that I've tweaked because I'm like, hmm, I could use that for the adult group later. <laughs> Yeah, nice. <laughs> well, I'm like, I'll throw them a puzzle just to see how I can get it to play out, and if, like, how it lands, I might tweak something and then hand it to the adult group later to see how they do, just out of curiosity. But <laughs> they are, it all is, so I have two separate groups, and then I have the adult group, and all three are completely different stories, so, because I don't want to, like, overlap and get bored doing it, so. Right, right. So, yeah, um, it's a lot of writing, but hey, that's okay. And then I worked on my script a bunch that I'm trying to finish, too. So that's prob- mostly what I've been doing this week. I have watched a couple things, but that's mostly what I've been doing this week. <laughs> nice. Well, this week I've um, I've been really busy working and just doing other stuff, like random obligations. So I haven't had a ton of time to watch stuff, unfortunately. So for me, it's pretty much Moon Knight, and that's about it. Like, I'm caught up on Moon Knight, but... Not really anything else, so uh, I don't know if you have anything cool you wanted to delve into as far as watching and reading goes. So, all right, two things real quick. Well, well, one thing and then Moon Knight. So, actually, so no, two things. The Jurassic World trailer 2 dropped today. A uh, little bit more story, a lot more dinosaurs, uh, 
and uh, the first just, one was nothing but dinosaurs. I know. <laughs> this, well, it's a lot more dinosaurs, a lot more, a lot bigger. You get to see a little more bigger dinosaurs, okay. but the story makes it look a little cooler. Um, so, in terms of what they're doing with it, right on. Um, it does make me laugh a little bit the way they talk about them as dinosaurs, where they're really not dinosaurs. And it reminded me of an article I saw about the um, about someone had said new fan theory states that the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are not actually dinosaurs based on these clues from previous movies. New fan theory. I know that your <laughs> your response to what I just said is how I took the article because I'm like new fan theory. This isn't yeah. a fan theory at all, and it's not new. This goes all the way back to the original novel written by Michael Crichton, where he specifically said they're not dinosaurs; they're genetic mutations, and they never call mm-hmm. them dinosaurs in the novel. They call them animals because they're not dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah, um, and we call them dinosaurs because they sure look like dinosaurs, and it's easier to have the conversation. But when you break it down into brass tacks, it, they're genetic. Uh, creations, and they're not what, you know what I mean? So I was like, new fan theory, you know, whatever, look. The movie <laughs> looks the movie looks really cool, that's all I'm going to say. Um, so check out the trailer, man, the new trailer dropped today. Um, that's awesome. I was going to say, to be fair, there was a cartoon DNA guy who, in the first movie, I'm pretty sure he referred to them as dinosaurs, so yeah. that um, could explain that seed being planted in the... Uh, <laughs> audiences collective subconscious or whatever but uh no i was gonna say i haven't seen this trailer yet but i'm kind of hoping that i don't think they're gonna do this but i almost think it'd be cool if they because at the end of the last jurassic world movie like the dinosaurs are out like the dinosaurs are in the mainland of uh north america and they're making it seem like this new movie there there's going to be a conflict where the dinosaurs are like at least trying to take over. And I kind of think it'd be cool if they created this universe where the dinosaurs did take over and it turns into this weird, like survival horror sort of uh scenario where it's all these like humans trying to survive the dinosaur apocalypse. I think that could be pretty entertaining, but that probably is not the direction they're going to go. <laughs> I just think it would be cool, but uh no, what were you saying? Um, that was honestly about it. Um, Okay. I was going to move on to my next thing. Um, there's a new show on Netflix called Anatomy of Scandal. Um, I watched the first, right, right. I watched the first episode. Pretty cool. Um, I'm kind of in to keep going. Um, I, I think Sienna Miller is a phenomenal actress, so I'm really kind of want more watching it for her than anything else. But it's interesting because it's like British Parliament, like political scandal so it's like not the normal u.s stuff so seeing the political stuff on that spectrum is pretty cool but i've only watched the first episode so we'll see how it plays out okay um and then moon knight and my review of moon knight is that got real um (laughs) like it just it got real uh getting heavy answers to how he found Kanchu, how he became possessed by Kanchu, the split personality between Mark and Steven, all this stuff. Where Steven came from, the whole nine, which one's the real personality, which one's the false personality, all of that. My, It was awesome, and I cannot wait to see how the finale plays out. My big takeaway is this feels like DC to me more than a Marvel show. Okay. 
just saying. It's very heavy. It's very dark. It's it's phenomenal. Like the like the actor like Oscar Isaac is probably one of the greatest actors on the face of the planet after watching this episode. But it feels <laughs> it feels too dark to be standard Marvel television. And that and that's even going when you put it up against you know the Netflix shows like The Punisher and Jessica Jones and all that stuff. This feels dark, but this feels like DC dark, um, if you will. Um, that's true. I don't know how you, what you think, but that's kind of like my review of the episode. I can't wait to see the finale. So, yeah, so that's um, that's really interesting um, that you're saying it feels DC dark. And I was just trying to think like maybe the show would have fit tonally better with like phase one of Marvel. And uh, I know phase one, like you had the first Iron Man movie had like some serious elements and you had the Incredible Hulk, which had like some super serious parts, not really a lot of comic relief in that movie. And I'm wondering if this show would fit better with those entries in the MCU. Um, I'm not really sure. Um, I'm kind of with you. Like this was a really good episode. I loved that. We got a lot of, a lot of answers to things. Um, I've seen some feedback online where people are just like, they're digging the show, but they're kind of annoyed with like, this is a moon Knight show. And we've had like, not very much Moon Knight in every episode. Right. And watching this this uh, last episode, there's only about 30 seconds of actual Moon Knight in it, which it is what it is. I mean, hopefully this show has more than one season and we get to see a lot more just cool Moon Knight action because he is a cool character. He has got a really cool visual. He's re- Visually, he's really cool and interesting. And I kind of want them to take advantage of that a little bit more with some really sweet action scenes. But the only – and I don't even know if it's a criticism. It's just something I'm trying to wrap my head around. I don't know if I understand – so – Steven is a, like, a personality that Mark created as, like, a coping mechanism, essentially, but he has, like, a soul, and he's in the afterlife. Like, that's what I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around, like, why is there two of them, then, if it's just, like, their souls in the afterlife? And I don't know if, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you there, and I wonder if that has to do with his possession with Kanji. Um, okay. And I and I have a feeling we may never fully get that answered. Um if you read the Moon Knight comics, there may have be an answer to that somewhere in the level of information, but yeah, that's a digging for the comics kind of thing. So, I honestly... that, that's that's well, I was going to say that's my only complaint and it's not really like I'm not saying it's like wrong. I just don't know if I understand it. And I don't know if there's going to be an explanation or if um, I don't know if this is like like you were talking about with Jurassic World, if there's going to be just we're going to be in a world of new fan theories with Moon Knight and how it all makes sense. And that could be an interesting road to go down um, after the show is finished. But that's that's just kind of my one lingering thought with this last episode. Um the fact that uh, this is definitely going into spoilers as a warning to the audience, but the fact that Steven more or less died at the end of this episode, how do you feel about that? Because I know there's some people who are actually like really upset about that, so I didn't know what your thoughts were there, Drew. I'm not sure how I feel about Steven dying at the end of the episode <laughs> yet. Um, because Cause, cause personally, cause personally, I was just like, well, he's just like a split personality, and that's okay if he passes away. 
but I guess online there's been a lot of, I don't want to say backlash, but people just are really upset about it. And I guess they really connected with that character and they're really sad to see him go. So I didn't know if you had any, just any thoughts on that aspect of the show. Yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about it yet because I feel like it was an issue of not just them balancing the scales per se, but it was also an issue of um, not just balancing the scales, but it was also an issue of Mark letting go and being able to take control of his life again. Right, right. Um, it might have been a metaphorical death more than just this, an actual death of the person. Yep. Because was Steven really real or not? And as a split personality situation where Mark is dealing with technically three personalities because of Conchu being inside of him, um, it makes you wonder what he can handle and what he can't. And is there going to be a reconciliation where he's going to realize that, you know, that was more of a metaphorical death and it got him, like, snapped out of his situation so now he can, him and Steven together can function properly. I'm not yeah. Sure. And, uh, and hearing, honestly, hearing what you just said, it kind of makes me feel that um, the fact that, like, everything in this sort of, uh, everything in the afterlife that we've seen in the last two episodes has been seen from Mark's perspective. And I feel like maybe that's why Stephen seemed to exist as, like, a separate entity, but maybe that's just how Mark was understanding everything and... uh how he, um, yeah, how he got to the point where he could con- confront his past and all of his issues and stuff. And maybe that's why, I, I, I'm not going to lie, as an audience member, I thought it was a little bit confusing why they were both se- separate entity- entities, but maybe it's just simply this is seen from kind of his perspective, and that's why um, it's presented that way, if that makes right. sense. Right, and um, I know this is kind of, on a left field in a way because it's not a Moon Knight comic book, but one of the comics that I fell behind on in terms of Marvel was um, Ultimate Spider-Man. I always really enjoyed reading it, um, and the Ultimate line was kind of an interesting line because it was different than stuff we knew, but it was kind of like a modern retelling of things. So it kind of started the story over and kind of started up again, but technology's changed and all that stuff. So it's kind of like a better... I, I don't want to say it's a better representation, but the representation kind of lands a little closer to what we know in terms of, like, the films and stuff like that. It's just a... Right, right. And I'm not saying the films are following the ultimate line, but what I'm saying is is that the way we feel about certain characters like Peter Parker and stuff in the Tom Holland universe, I guess you could say, is very much... It's, it's like the same level of feeling when I read Ultimate Spider-Man, if that's... Like, in terms of translation. Uh, well, I was reading it, and, you know, Moon, there's a, eventually he does meet up with Moon Knight, so I'm like, on up, I'm on issue like 113, I think. Um, so I'm getting, I'm getting near the end, because I know there are only 130 issues of that book. Um, so I'm on like nice. 113 or something like that. And when he met Moon Knight, he was, Moon Knight introduced himself as Mark Spector and Stephen Grant. Um, and he's okay. fully, he's fully in control of everything. He's fully in control of Hanchu, Mark, Steven, the split personality craziness. So I don't really know. And like the Moon Knight I've read, he's been very much both personalities too. So let's see how the show plays out because I feel like they're gonna do they're gonna be a little bit different because the MCU has been a little different here and there. So right. 
Yeah. Nice. Yeah. No, I, I, that was actually like a cool bit of uh, comics context for it because I'm kind of with you where I haven't read a lot of Moon Knight. Like most of the times I've read Moon Knight comics, it's been like him showing up in like a Spider-Man comic book or, you know, showing up in the Avengers, like an Avengers comic or something. But uh, the one the one Moon Knight um, arc that I read was uh, when uh, – David Finch was drawing Moon Knight because his artwork on that comic was just so badass. <laughs> but uh, sure. honestly, like, I can't recall a lot of the story beats and stuff, unfortunately, because it's been just a while since I read it. But, uh, yeah, it was one of those arcs that I read where it was more more, more so me just, just loving the artwork the whole time. <laughs> the story went by the wayside for me, but it is what it right. is. Um, but, yeah, yeah. Um, did you watch anything else or? Um, nope, that was it. Like I said, okay, nice. I've been writing a lot, so and working on that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, let's uh, talk about the news, man, because we got a ton of crap. Um, what I thought was interesting about the news is we were ramping up to this show. I was like, wow, there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. I had literally like one story flag to talk about. And yeah. And then a little thing called CinemaCon happened. And okay. <laughs> news has been exploding out of CinemaCon. And when I say exploding, almost everything is a quick hit story because it's almost all announcements. So That's feel awesome. Free to, feel free to drop in. But we do have some regular stories. Um, ultimately, it's a lot of quick hits. Um, I will, um, let's see. I'm going to bounce around this a little bit because there's some I flagged that I was like, ooh, that story's related to this, that story's related to this. So um, I'm going to start with the stuff that had nothing to do with CinemaCon first. Um, there was a big rumor a while back about um, Obi-Wan Kenobi having Darth Maul in the show and then them, like, changing it from Darth Maul to Darth Vader and then um, changing from Darth Maul to Darth Vader um, and then rumors coming out saying Darth Maul was never a part of the show at all. Um, so the question is, was Darth Maul a part of the show? Whatever. Um, and then I saw this article, this uh, quote slash news story, Obi-Wan Kenobi director debunks rumors of Darth Maul's appearance. Ever since Darth Maul returned to live action in Solo, Star Wars story, rumors have circulated about the villain returning for more um, live action appearances. Though, according to Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi Deborah Chow, director Deborah Chow, it was never part of the plan to bring back the figure. She says, quoting, as long as I've been involved, we've never had Darth Maul in any of it. And Dave Filoni did a beautiful job of telling that story already. She's referring to Darth Maul's involvement in Rebels and how he uh, met Kenobi, hunted down Kenobi, and then eventually Kenobi killed him. But yeah. hearing that Darth Maul was never a part of it from the director, that's awesome. And it's solid news, so it, it kind of debunks some of the rumors, if you will. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then I saw this story, which I thought was interesting and worth bringing up. It was a list of the top, it was like the top six most expensive television shows ever made. And you think for a top five show, I'd do the top five, but the list was, <laughs> it was the top six. Um, so here we go. Number six, I'm going to read these numbers, six to one. And I'm going to throw in some a sprinkle of information as I go, because there was one piece that I thought was really interesting. So first off, um, number six is The Mandalorian. Six, $15 million an episode. Right. Okay. $15 million an episode. Game of Thrones, 
15 million dollars an episode. Okay? Um, now that being said, to add to that, um, House of the Dragon is shelling out almost 20 million an episode for the first season of the spin-off. So it's 5 million wow. more per episode than they spent on Game of Thrones. Um, That's but crazy. then again, they also have apparently apparently I was reading that House of the Dragon is going to have something like 30 dragons in total at the beginning of the show. Nice. So, you know, <laughs> right? Right? I was also going to ask, this would have to be like later seasons of Game of Thrones, right? This is like, because at the beginning, I it was probably a little bit lower budget, I'm assuming, but I guess I'm not sure. Yeah, so Game of Thrones, um, the, it was like the final two seasons, it was $15 million an episode. Yeah. So, yeah, the, but the budget drastically increased as the show gained popularity. Um, so we have The Mandalorian, Game of Thrones, The Pacific, which I don't really know what that is, but that was $20 million an episode. Um, Marvel, hmm. Marvel Disney Plus, $25 million an episode. Um, so that hits, like, every um, – that hits every uh, – I mean, that's crazy, basically. Um, <laughs> just when you think about it, when you think about WandaVision versus, um, Loki, uh, Winter Soldier, you know, so on and so on. But then again, how much of that's cast salary because of the actors you're bringing in? You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Stranger Things, $30 million an episode. Um, and then the one that kind of, um, which makes me interested a little bit more. I mean, we were already interested in the Amazon's Lord of the Rings. $60 million an episode for the Amazon. Yeah. Things. Um, <laughs> Which is a pretty big jump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just between the last two. But, yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Here, are we, here we go. Quick hits. Um, Wicked. Are you looking forward to the Wicked movie? I don't know if I knew that that was happening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, finally, Wicked is coming to the movie theaters. Okay. Okay. Um, Wicked is being split into two movies, um, and the release dates will be, uh, let's see, uh, Wicked film will now come to theaters as two films rather than one production. Uh, the first film is set to premiere in December of 2024. And then the other one, the following Christmas. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's cool. It's, um, it seems like Ari- this would have happened a lot sooner, to be honest. Say what? I, I feel like I'm surprised this hasn't already happened, but, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. Well, I know. What about, I'll oh, keep going. Ariana Grande <laughs> is playing one of the witches in the movie. Um, okay. So I don't know much more about that, the movie, than that, but for those Wicked fans out there, you're getting two movies instead of one. Um, <laughs> right on. The third Spider-Verse film has a title, finally. Um, so Spider-Man okay. the Spider-Verse will have... Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse will have 240 characters, six universes, and the largest crew um, for an animation film. The producers also went on to say that the film starts in Earth-65, Spider-Gwen's homeworld, long before continuing to Earth-160, which is the primary continuity in which Miles Morales, uh, more, um, which Moore's Miles Morales lives. Um... So, Across the Spider-Verse is the name of the second film. The third film is titled Beyond the Spider-Verse. Nice. Um, okay. So, okay, cool. 
Like There's I a said, lot of I, verses going on. Yeah, a lot of these are quick hits, <laughs> just letting you know. Um, yeah. Uh, again, from CinemaCon, the next Venom and Ghostbusters films are officially announced. Okay. So, we're getting Venom 3 and Ghostbusters 5. I don't think any of us thought that wasn't going to happen. But still um, something to look forward to. Um, let's see here. The Batman 2 officially announced. Yes. Um, with everyone. Awesome. With everyone coming back. Um, which is awesome. And when they say the whole team, we're not talking just Pattinson and Joey Kravitz and, you know, Colin Farrell and Matt Reeves and all them. We're talking all the production, all the producers, like everyone's coming back. So. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Can't wait to see more because we got our universe established. Let's see where they go with it. Absolutely. Um, I can't wait either. I know, right? Okay, more DC news. Harley Quinn, the television, the cartoon on HBO Max, the Harley Quinn show, is getting a spinoff. That's nice. Cool. I'm down. That's a funny show. <laughs> uh, you Did they say, that? like, what character they're focusing on or anything like that? Yeah, you want to take a guess? First off, have you watched the show before you guess? I still haven't watched it. Um... I'm going to guess Plastic Man. Well, you're not far off. Their, um, the spinoff will focus on Kite Man. Oh. <laughs> um. <laughs> so even just more random and obscure. That's awesome. Well, it's more random and obscure, but if you watch Harley Quinn, Kite Man is a prevalent part of the show. <laughs> I need um, to watch it. I don't know what's holding me back, but uh, I don't know what's yeah, holding I, need to check I don't it know out. what's holding me back either. And it's really <laughs> funny because there's bits where like Kite Man tries to hit on like Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn are best friends in the show and they're got each other's backs and they're doing their thing. And there's a bit where Kite Man tries to hit on Har- uh Poison Ivy. And there's a whole big laugh about how stupid Kite Man is a villain and everyone should just like ignore the fact that he exists and all that stuff. But he hits yeah. on Poison Ivy enough that there's a point where, like, um, Kite Man's there. They tell him to leave. Poison Ivy comes in the room, and they're like, Kite Man was just here. We had to kick him out. And she's like, did he ask about me? <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> um, and then it just, the hilarity goes from there. It's really funny, and I'm down for it because of how the character's treated on the Harley Quinn show. So if it's the people who are taking the attention that they do the Harley Quinn, the Kite Man, I'm in. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, CinemaCon showed a clip for the Flash movie. Here's some, uh, this is maybe spoiler, but it's more of a, hey, it's CinemaCon, they're announcing stuff. Yeah. Um, there are going to be seven different bat suits in this movie. Barry Allen. Uh, makes sense, I guess. Sure. It's Batman, the amount of suits he has, whatever. We knew there was going to be at least two, right? Look, you know what? We're going to see at least two Batmans. Are we going to see more bat suits? Are we going to see more of the Batcave? You know what we haven't seen? Well, actually, we have, just not the same way. Um, in Batman Returns. Batmite. Well, yeah, Batmite, right? <laughs> in Batman Returns. Actually, what was I watching? Oh, what was I watching? Oh. No, Batmite was referenced in Peacemaker. And <laughs> of course. They made a Batmite reference in Peacemaker, and it was nice. amazing. Um, there's, uh, they... What Batman, we haven't seen in Batman. Right. Well, in Batman Returns, they showed the costume chamber where he keeps all his gear. Yeah. And they show it again in, um, they show it really well in Batman Forever as well, but it's always repeating of the same costume. 
It's like, oh, right. Here's yeah. Racks of the body armor. Here's racks of the boots. Here's racks of the cowls, that kind of thing. They never show multiples. Well, if you watch like the animated series or you read actual comic books, you will know that there's costumes lined up in cases. The Batman suit, yeah. the Nightwing suit, the Robin suit, Batgirl, so on and so on. I would love to see the costume chamber lined up like that on screen. That might actually be like one of those things that like I'm really looking forward to seeing, knowing what we're doing with it. You know yeah, what I mean? Good call. Yeah, absolutely. Like, let's see. Let's see them all lined up because that's an iconic thing. And like, even if you don't explore those characters, that would be like that would be like one of those fan moments. Did you see the costume? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would love to see it and like have like multiple different Robin suits lined up and then maybe even like there's an Azrael Batman suit lined up just for the the fans to notice in the background. Yeah, and, like, yeah oh that would be God, really cool. Did, right. Did they really put the Azrael suit on the you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um so seven bat suits. Uh Barry is definitely tra- time traveling. Um Ben and Supergirl were shown in the clip. I'm not sure who they're referring to as Ben, to be completely honest. <laughs> That's um, what I was going to ask, actually. <laughs> ben and Supergirl. Um, and then Zod were shown in the clip. Wild. Um, and then Michael Keaton has a Let's Get Nuts scene, um, which is funny because of the Let's Get Nuts scene in the Batman 89 when he says to the Joker, he's like, you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> forgot about that. But apparently he has a let's get nuts scene. So, in the realm of Zod coming, uh, the Zod being in the movie, Michael Shannon from Batman, from Super, from Man of Steel will be returning as General okay. for the Flash. That's that's literally the next question I was going to ask you is like, mm-hmm. do we know if this is Michael Shannon's Zod? Because I didn't know if they were going to pull something crazy, and obviously it wasn't going to be the same actor, but I didn't know if we were going to get like Superman 2 Zod was going to show up, and that would just be pretty damn mind-blowing in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> Either way, I'm down. <laughs> if they, okay, first off, Jen, getting Michael Shannon back is awesome. Getting Terrence Stamp back would be, that'd be, that'd be killer, dude. What if we had two Zods and they're just saving? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. Or just like, not, like I was I'll show like you it wouldn't Spider-Man be. No Way Home. Check this out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was even thinking like it might not be the same actor, but just somebody who looks pretty much exactly the same. And you could also have, uh, so Terrence I can't Stamp's remember that. Yeah, pretty much. Well, like a younger <laughs> actor, you know what I mean. But <laughs> we have we have the aging technology, and I think Terrence Stamp is still alive. So I think we're good to go. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I guess I'm thinking of this in 20th century terms or something. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, keep going. <laughs> All right, that's kind of it for the DC. Um, okay. Um, before I go on to that, um, Hunger Games. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes gets a release date. The next chapter in uh, the billion-dollar Hunger Games franchise will release on November 17th, 2023. Um, The announcement came at CinemaCon along with a new teaser that uh, promised, in 2023, the world will discover who is a songbird and who is a snake. Um, I didn't know a Hunger Games spin-off, sequel, prequel, I don't know what yes. it is, was coming. So I want to read more about this. And when I say that this kind of 
the, the, one of the reasons I don't know much more is because this is one of the most latest pieces. And I'll tell you this, as yeah. this show ends, when I get done with all the news, CinemaCon, at the time of this recording, is still going on. So I'm sure that next week when we sit down and talk, I'm going to have more fallout from CinemaCon. Um, nice. That's we awesome. might have more details because it was literally like announcement after announcement after announcement. It was crazy. Um all right, uh, let's talk about Disney's slate. So Disney, 2022-2023, here we go. 2022, we got Buzz Lightyear coming. By the way, do you have any confusion as to where Buzz Lightyear fits in the timeline of the Pixar Pantheon? I'd, I kind of thought it was kind of, the way I was seeing that show is it kind of sits outside of the Pixar Pantheon. Well, the way I took it was like it's 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 the fi- it's like the fictional story of the toy Buzz Lightyear that we know from Toy Story. So I I I kind of was considering it like its own separate timeline, but yeah, keep going. I'm, I don't yes, know if you're going to explain you. that it. Well, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for you to say. So, for example, it's the fictional story of the Buzz Lightyear toy, meaning this is the movie or television show that. Andy saw that made him want the Buzz Lightyear toy, correct? Exactly, yeah. That is how I always took it. I've seen several articles explaining that. Like, (laughs) and I'm not trying to, like, who was confused? And that's the part where I, I just don't get, like, what? How are you confused? Like, this is technically Andy's Star Wars. Like, he saw a space movie and got into space. That's what everybody did. You know, back in the seventies, everyone, it was all cowboys, it was all cowboys and western films, and then, um, Star Wars came along and everyone was into space all of a sudden. You know what I mean? This is Andy's Star Wars. That's the movie he saw that made him into, want him to get into Buzz Lightyear. I did not have confusion when I saw the trailer. I was like, oh, this is the story of Buzz Lightyear, the fictional character Buzz Lightyear. Um, (laughs) but I've seen several. I've seen several articles going Buzz Lightyear explained. I'm like, Buzz Lightyear explained, and I click on it, and I start reading, and I'm like, you felt you had to explain this? What? I don't <laughs> Look, I'm finding, and I feel like I, when I make these comments, I alienate some of the listeners, and I feel like we lose listeners on this, but I feel like I'm not understanding the internet these days. So, <laughs> so for me, the big clue was in the uh, Buzz Lightyear trailer, He's a real person, and in the Toy Story movies, he's a toy, so it's obviously not the same character, I well, guess. In this, but movie, in this movie, he's a real person, and in this movie, he's a toy, so it's pretty clearly obvious. <laughs> but I, I don't, I don't want to be, like, too disparaging, because I could see myself doing that, just, like, watching the trailer and at just, like, surface value and not realizing it, but I did think it was pretty obvious, like, no, this is, like, the fictional story about the character that that toy is of, sure. if that makes well, sense. Um, I feel like, I feel, no offense to people who, like, have their phones when they're watching stuff, but, and I, and on occasion, if I'm watching something by myself and I glance at my phone, if it buzzes, but I'm telling you, like, so many people will, like, I've been with people who've been watching things, and they would be playing with their phone, and they'll ask a question about the thing that they're watching, and I'm like, well, they just covered that in dialogue, like, ten minutes ago while you were playing with your phone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, attention to what you're watching. <laughs> I just don't understand how anyone was confused as to what the Buzz Lightyear thing was. Anyway, moving um, on. I'm not, well, not going to be disparaging with, either, but what? <laughs> well, I was going to say, like, 
with that being said, and like how Buzz Lightyear is kind of its own fictional timeline within the Pixar universe, it would still be cool to see Wally show up in the background somewhere or something like that. Like none of us are going to complain about that. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, go ahead. What was what was coming next? Okay, so we got Buzz Lightyear coming. We got Doctor Strange two, uh, Multiverse of Madness. We got Thor: Love and Thunder. Right. We got a movie yeah. called The Banshees. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. We have a movie called The Bob's Burgers Movie, which I didn't know was going to be a thing, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to come back to one of these because it's the bridge between 20. It's like comes out at Christmas, so I'm going to come back to it in a second. We have one coming out called Disney's Strange World. All right. Um, then we have Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever. Um, we have Amsterdam. Uh, we have a movie called The Menu. We have uh, The Marvels, which, um, if you want to know where Marvels lands, it is going to be the team-up movie with Captain Marvel, Miss Marvel, I'm assuming um, Photon. Okay. Um, I'm believing. Um, I don't know if there's going to be more to it, but that's the team-up movie for that. Guardians of the Galaxy 3, The Live Action Little Mermaid, Ant-Man Quantumania, the Indiana Jones movie, who we're still yet to get a subtitle for. And oh, that's going to be an exciting subtitle when that finally comes out. <laughs> I know, I know, I agree. And Avatar, which finally got a subtitle for the sequel film. And a release date, and some more news that irritated me a little bit. Um, the, so that's the Disney slate. But there's one more title on the Disney slate, which is the irritation. So, Avatar... Um, title for the second film. Want to take a guess? Your uh, Avatar: The Seconding. <laughs> no, it is titled Avatar: The Way of Water. Okay, we knew that it was going to have a aquatic theme. I guess you could say. So this is the part that irritates me. Avatar two, titled The Way of Water, original film, be- and with original film being remastered. For theaters, Avatar Two will be the third. Will be the uh, Avatar Two will officially be titled Way of Water and will be released on December sixteenth, twenty twenty two. The original, yes, yes. Wow, wow. Yeah, which okay. I'm gonna come back. So real quick, Avatar is being released then because of Avatar's release. Shazam: Fury of the Cods has shifted its release date away from Avatar and will now be being pushed back to December 21st. Okay. So, because everyone's, like, suddenly scared of Avatar, and they should be. Yeah. This is the part that bugs me. This is the part that I find irritating. So, Avatar 2 will officially be released on December 16th, 2022. The original film will be remastered and re-released in theaters this fall. Of course. What does that mean for Avatar 1's re-release? I, it means that it's just gonna, it's gonna be that much more box office gross to, uh, hold its record right. there at the so, top spot. So having Avengers being the number one film globally, and we're thinking to ourselves, yay, Avatar is finally off the peg! Boom, they're gonna put Avatar in the theaters again for probably, I think, the sixth time, and they're going to rake in more box office dollars before the second film. Honestly, 
I'll rewatch Avatar, but I'll do it in the safety of my own home and then go see the new one when it hits theaters. Because I'm going to go see the new one. I'm just a little irritated because I'm like, really? <laughs> um, um, I halfway expect myself to see the new one without having rewatched the first one and forgetting all the characters and everything going on. <laughs> Sure. And then being like one of those annoying people who bothers you, who's looking at their yeah. phones like, wait, what's okay. going on? <laughs> okay, here's what I remember from the first one. All right, it's the story of Pocahontas, okay? The yeah. humans the humans go to the planet Pandora because they're going to mine unattainium. They send Jake Sully, who, by the way, has the same initials as John Smith, into the Indian camp. <laughs> and he meets the princess and falls in love with her. Her name's Natiri. And then he becomes one with the forest, becomes one with his avatar. So now he eventually actually lives in his avatar body. So that's the living, breathing embodiment of Jake Sully. There will be no bouncing around, I don't think. I don't know where the human element comes into it, and they're going to be exploring Pandora more. So the main players that we need to know about are Jake Sully, Natiri, uh, Joel David Moore's character stayed behind, um, and I don't know what human characters are, so we could literally be just on Pandora dealing with the Blue Cat people the entire film. Um, Which is okay. Um, so in terms of the major players, those are the major players we need to know going into the new Avatar film. Yeah. Um, until we get more, because we don't know anything. I don't know if I mind the blue cat people, like, if that's the main focus, just because, in my opinion, in the first one, all the stuff on Pandora and the Navi and their culture and all that I found more interesting than the human characters. Like, you know, the human characters have more, in my opinion, had a little bit more generic, you know, like, mechs they were driving around and stuff. So I'm kind of down with that, but... um yeah, I don't know. Avatar is a weird property. I'm, I can't I'm not going to lie and say I'm like super, super excited about this. Um, my one question, since this next movie is going to be called The Way of the Water, are these movies going to be element based? Like, is the one after that going to be like The Way of the Fire or something? Because my only, <laughs> my only thoughts with that <laughs> is there's another property called Avatar that has you know, it's a TV show, and each season is based around an element, and uh, it's kind of a better property, in my opinion, <laughs> but we don't have to go on a huge <laughs> tirade there, but it's just kind of, I don't know if they're going to be focusing on elements in each one, but if they do, it's kind of like, find your own thing, you're already called Avatar, and it's kind of confusing, but <laughs> it is what it is. Um, that's kind of my TED Talk for the night, I guess. I don't know if you have any more comments on Avatar at this point. Um, no, well, no, not really. It's just, hey, they're going to release, they're going to re-release the original to rake in more box office dollars to make sure that James Cameron is always number one globally and domestically at the box office at all times. <laughs> then they're going to release Avatar 2 and hope that James Cameron stays there with all of his movies and always be at the top. Now, look, there's nothing against James Cameron. He makes great movies. I just... For a movie that no one's going to Avatar Con, we're all <laughs> that's the part that I don't understand. But that's okay because my butt's going to be in a seat and he's going to get my money anyway. So maybe I don't need to understand it. Um, yeah, it's. I think it goes to show that like just visual spectacle and like the amazing effects and you know seeing Avatar in 3D and IMAX. I think. It's interesting that that can drive people to the box office so much, but I think it is something to uh, think about and just, I don't know, take in like that amount of visual spectacle and euphoria and stuff, I guess, does have its impact, if that makes sense. So, yeah. 
Um, where am I at? Okay. Um, Kevin Feige says that Marvel will soon plan the next 10 years of Marvel movies. <laughs> Look, in 10 years, we're going to have over 50 of these. Um, but wait, he's, he's gonna, he's gonna what the next 10 years of Marvel movies? Plan, soon plan the next 10 years. But I thought there wasn't a plan. Right. <laughs> um, right. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. So it's okay. More, look, wow, I feel like we're being very disparaging with the entire <laughs> of the internet today. <laughs> I'm just being sarcastic. I know. I, I think, well, I know, in my yeah. opinion, I do think they have, like, an outline of where the Marvel movies are going to go, but it's what we were talking about a couple weeks ago, where, like, if one movie comes out and it's a total flop, they obviously can't use those characters to take us to the next step of the MCU, so it's like a loose outline. Like, they know where they're going, but they might need to shift some pieces and make different characters do different things along the way. That's my opinion, though. Yeah. Agreed. Um, so during Disney's presentation at CinemaCon, Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige revealed that Marvel's leadership is currently planning a retreat that will be used to plot out the next 10 years of MCU, um, meaning they're all going to, he's going to take all the producers away and they're going to go on a big vacation together and discuss and plan and create the entire next 10 years of our lives because he knows we're going to, our butts are going to be in the seat. Um, in the next 10 years with exciting characters and new characters and new storytelling tools, the multiverse and the multiverse, anything can happen. Um, uh, the MCU, it's easy to overlook just how involved the decade of project is in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first 10 years, fan watch full trilogies of Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, and flock to theaters for, for $3 billion Avenger team-ups. Within the decade also came a gap year, right? And then, so, it's this article I found where it was really laying out the way the Marvel's kind of like built in and all that stuff. And when someone says, how many of these can you have? We're getting four Marvel films this year, which is nuts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, just this year. Um, and they're going to plan out 10 more years of this. Like I said, we're going to have over 50 of these. I think we're up to 27 at this point, um, in total. And that, yeah, I think so. Um, and, and with the uh, with all the shows that are coming out, it's it gets to the point where it's like Marvel becomes like the MCU becomes more of a lifestyle than just a piece of entertainment that you enjoy. But <laughs> hearing the story, I honestly my biggest curiosity is I want to know what goes on on the MCU planning retreat. Like, I hope they start, yeah, they like right? film some of this stuff because I want <laughs> I want to see the behind the scenes documentary about like. What goes on? Like, that would be, that just sounds so cool. Like, I'd love, I'd love to sneak in. Like, I imagine them with, like, they go, like, rent some cabins somewhere and they just spend the time, like, watching superhero movies and with a ton of comics and graphic novels and whiteboards and they're just outlining and storyboarding. And it just sounds like a cool, it just sounds like a cool thing to witness. Like, I hope there's some sort of behind the scenes view into that at some point. You know what I mean? You know, and that would be great if they ran it on, like, a Disney documentary or something. Yeah. I feel like they wouldn't be able to do that until we're done with, like, half of it. And, like, well, we could <laughs> talk about this half of it. Um, we'll see it in ten years. <laughs> yeah, we'll, see, we'll see it in, yeah, we'll see it in ten years when it's all done, and then they can show the documentary. Um, 
No, I agree. And I that's just a want to be on a fly on a wall. And you know what? Even if it's stuff that's never going to get made, I just want to listen to the conversation and be like, ooh, you guys, Absolutely. Even, you guys just thought about doing that? That's fantastic. Even if I don't get it, the fact that you're talking about the possibility is awesome. You know? Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. You ready for the weird story, and then we can talk about the list tonight? Sure. Are you a cereal guy? Like, when you get up in the like, morning, do you have a bowl of cereal before you go out for the day? No, I I used to every day, um, but nowadays it's it's like once every couple months I'll have a bowl of cereal, but it's not that often, to be honest. Sure. <laughs> I, I'm a cereal guy. I'm a get up in the morning, nice. get my bowl of Honey Nut Cheerios, have a glass of orange juice, and then I leave the house, right? I'm a big orange juice right. guy in the morning. Orange juice is kind of like my coffee. I'm good to go after I have it. Um, and if I don't have it, I'm kind of an ass. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> it's, it's weird. It really is kind of like my coffee, and I love it. Um, this, I, I don't even know how to respond to this. Tropicana is working on a new cereal. Uh, oh, okay. okay. I feel like I know where this is going, but keep going. <laughs> it's, it is tro- called Tropicana Crunch. It's a honey almond cereal. Okay. It is meant, okay. it is meant to be eaten with orange juice, not milk. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. I I don't know how to respond to it. It's funny. Tropicana is my orange juice of choice, too. <laughs> um, but I just, I'm like, what? Um, okay. <laughs> I think this is, this is hilarious because it's just, I don't know if I'm going to like this, but I will. Like, I'm certainly up for trying it. But it's just a funny story because I'm just imagining how many people are going to freak out about this. And then when you think about eating cereal with orange juice, there's so many other combinations to bring up. Like, do you eat it with pulp in your orange juice or does it have to be pulp free? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It's just a pretty funny uh, scenario. Personally, I'm probably going to try it with... uh, flaming hot Mountain Dew. Um, I don't know <laughs> what your thoughts are. Are you going to try this, Drew? Are you going to do the Tropicana cereal? No, I will not. Uh, <laughs> I'm, um, and I, and I say that because I'm very, um, I'm very devoted to my Honey Nut Cheerios. And the only time I stray from it is when I run out and I didn't know I was that low and I got to eat whatever the kids got. So I'm just like, Oh, it's Captain Crunch today. Okay. Oh, I guess I'll deal with the Reese's Puffs because I got to eat something before I leave the house. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wasn't even like talking about like doing it as part of my breakfast routine. I was just thinking like, I'm sure when this this comes out, I'm going to be hanging out with friends one day and we're going to just be like, want to try this Tropicana cereal crap? And uh, then we'll go to the store and, you know, buy a box and try it out. But uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. Hopefully I can review this at some point on the show during our watching and reading. <laughs> right. It's definitely a really weird story, though. Yeah, and I don't really know how to, like, process it. It was more of a, they're going to make an orangey cereal? Ugh. Like, you know. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about tonight's list. You down? Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, in that case, uh, let's roll the thing. the top five. Okay, Peter. Um, This was my pick for the night. Um, 
is one I've been sitting on for a while, um, and we're going to be talking about documentaries. Um, that's something we don't, it comes up every now and then, you're like, yeah, there's a documentary on it, or oh yeah, there's a thing on that, you know, and we didn't, um, we don't jump into the documentaries very often, and I thought it would be a good idea to finally discuss it. Um, I will say that when I was putting this list together, I found it kind of easy. Um, right. I'm not the biggest documentary guy, and the ones I do, I'm kind of picky about what I watch. I don't watch every documentary that comes out, so when we get to the okay. Oscars, I don't know most of them, but if a documentary really catches my attention, I will watch it. Um, but the other thing is, is I'm such a big film guy I love all these behind-the-scenes making of documentaries, even if it's a documentary about the history of something related to film. So I was like, I can't go too crazy on this, and I feel like a lot of mine are film and pop culture-based. But, hey, we all watch what we want to watch, right? Absolutely. Right. So, yeah. (laughs) Unless you just can't, you know, like one documentary I'm super, super excited for like, first off, I mentioned uh, the Netflix film Blonde that's coming out with Ana de Armas playing Marilyn Monroe, right? Well, that's a, yeah. that is a biopic where she's playing the actress, and you're going to see a, the story of her life played by an actress. There's another one coming out called The Marilyn Tapes, which is a documentary about all these recordings that took place in terms of a lot of the conspiracy stuff that went on around her life because of her, like, affair with Kennedy and, like, Secret Service stuff and all that stuff. That's a documentary yeah. coming out. That looks astounding, but again, it's linked to film. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Like, I just love film history stuff, and so I watch a lot of it. I love Civil War documentaries too. I just don't watch them the way I watch, you know, um, Marvel's Assembled on Disney Plus. It's like it's a docu series, and it's like, oh sweet, the Eternals one's on. Click. Oh sweet, the Hawkeye one's on. Click. You know what I mean? So. If that makes sense, like I just I love that behind the scenes stuff. So anyway, did you have Absolutely. a problem? This, did you have a problem put this together? No, I thought mine was pretty easy too. And actually, your um, hearing like your approach to the list kind of surprised me because I feel like I have a pretty similar situation where I actually love documentaries. Like I really like a good documentary, and sometimes I like them better than. Um, you know, scripted movies and shows and stuff like that. But my problem is, and it sounds like pretty similar to you, Drew, I'm really like hyper-focused where a lot of my documentaries have to do with like certain things that I'm into, like when it comes to nerd culture or, um, you know, movies or artwork or comic books and stuff. And like, that was my problem with my list is I just felt like it was really hyper focused on like a couple different subjects, <laughs> but it kind of uh, seems like you had the sim had a similar conundrum with it. So I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought for some reason I was expecting you to be pulling out a lot of documentaries that were maybe more historical or science based and stuff. And not saying that you don't, I don't know how our lists are going to play out, but uh, it sounds like you had like a similar issue there with me. So that's kind of a, uh, that's kind of yeah. interesting to hear, but four that are pop culture based and one that's not, <laughs> but okay, at the same nice. time, the one that's not is still kind of pop culture based. So <laughs> the other thing that's going to be cool is I'm really curious which movies you picked for this list because like, we'll see each other at, you know, family parties and stuff. And we'll talk about like, Oh, you know, what do you think of the last star Wars movie? Or, you know, are you caught up on moon Knight or whatever? But 
we don't really say like, hey, have you watched any good documentaries lately? So we might be picking some crazy random stuff out of the woodwork for this list. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how well, this I, unfolds. What I think is funny about the statement you just made is it made me think of Friends when <laughs> Ross is like, this is new Ukrainian film playing. <laughs> Um, right. Like, you know, when you get together with friends at a party, someone's always like, did you see Moon Knight? Or did you go see the new Marvel film? Or did you see like, you know, hey, uh, don't look up hit Netflix. Did anyone check it out yet? Where? Yeah. Um, or like this new comedy or whatever. Not many people I travel, not many people in the groups I travel with. I'm like, dude, did you check out that new documentary about whatever? Like that, <laughs> that doesn't, I don't feel like that conversation <laughs> happens a lot in the, uh, uh, yeah, you're like, you're like, so I checked out this new documentary about the volcanic activity on the on the Pacific Rim, and everybody's like, shut up, get out of here, <laughs> we hate you. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, um, how about this? I have two honorable mentions. Let's get rolling. Um, as as do I. So I could jump into my first one if you're ready. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, cool. So my first one, um, kind of not a pr- uh, surprise that I picked this cause I've talked about this movie a couple times, but I went with Dogtown and Z boys. Um, if you've never heard of this movie, it's basically the documentary that, uh, the movie Lords of Dogtown was based on. And it's kind of the story of, uh, you know, professional skateboarders, like, uh, people like Tony Alva and, uh, Stacey Peralta and a lot of these like sort of skateboarders from the 70s who were really just like a ragtag bunch of kids who kind of revolutionized the sport and took it from being a kind of a weird niche like flatland activity and they kind of took it to the next level like they were the first people to you know bring a skateboard into an empty pool and try to skate around an an empty pool and they were like kind of the first people to realize that you can do like crazy jumps and stuff. And they really, really revolutionized the sport. And uh, if you watch, you can watch this movie or you can watch or Lords of Dogtown and they're both kind of on the same level. um, And they kind of have a cool, like this all takes place in the seventies. And as, as you watch these, this group of kids life progress, lives progress, it kind of has a cool, like um rock and roll feel to the whole thing a little bit. Like it kind of feels like, similar stories when you watch a movie about a band who like when you watch a movie about a band that like kind of makes it big and then their friend, you know, their initial friend group falls apart and goes their separate, separate ways. And it kind of has a similar feel to that, which I've always appreciated, but this is just one of those movies that it's, it's not necessarily my favorite documentary today, but it is one that I, watched um when i was coming of age you know when i was in high school and i think it did make a big impact on me so uh yeah i I definitely wanted to mention it so there you go did you watch the tony hawk documentary yet no on uh hbo max right yeah yeah i haven't checked that out that's a good reminder though i need to watch that um because i'm sure i would love it have you have you watched it yet not yet it's been it's in the like ooh, i gotta watch that and then yeah yeah i just haven't um and that's the other problem. In documentaries, I always feel like I need to be in the mood to watch them or someone needs to go, hey, you really should check this out. Um, Absolutely. And that's I think it, like you don't flock to it as fast, you know. But when it's about the right subject matter, you're ready to watch it immediately, you know. <laughs> so it just yeah. kind of depends. Yeah, good call. <laughs> um, 
All right, so my first one is a bit of a cheat. That's why it's an honorable mention, because it's a docu-series as opposed to a film. Um, and that's just simply Shark Week. Um, just because I like shark documentaries, but there's not, like, I can't, like, nail one down, if you will. Um, there's not one that's been like, oh, that's just an amazing thing. Uh, so just about anything that lands on Shark Week, I'm, like, usually glued to the TV for. Um, just because I like sharks. That's about it. <laughs> Good call. I don't have um, to add to that, so... Yeah, no, Shark Week is awesome. I don't feel like, as I get older, I feel like I don't have as much time to dedicate to Shark Week, but I definitely enjoy it when I actually am able to catch something, so that's a really good pick. Um, For some reason, I thought it was, like, specifically documentary films this week because um, I almost included uh, VH1's Behind the Music on my list, but then I was like, well, that's not a film, that's a TV series, so I did. Well, this is why Shark Week lands on an honorable mention for me. (laughs) Fair enough. My intention was documentary films. Absolutely. Uh, Well, we're... That's why I was like, it doesn't really, it can't, but it can't land on the list because of the rule in my head I set, but at the same time, it, I think it's awesome, and I yeah. I watched the hell out of it, so. It's up there with your favorites, so it definitely yeah. counts. And, and you should always live your life as each week as if it's Shark Week. So. <laughs> Absolutely. So <laughs> you should veg out you, in front of the TV. All the well, time. if you don't yeah. understand what I mean by that, the, once you figure it out, you'll get it. Um, anyway, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Um, well, I was just going to say we're in honorable mention land, too. Yeah. So none of this really counts yet. Um, with that being said, my next honorable mention, I went with uh, Comic-Con Episode 4, A Fan's Hope, the uh, Morgan Spurlock documentary. Uh, have you seen yeah. this, Drew? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, like, it honestly, there was a moment where I was like, are you talking about the... Um uh, the Mark Hamill movie. Um, oh, uh, comic book the movie. Comic book the movie. But that was more of a fictional story and then just happened to be, you know, so. Yeah. <laughs> That's another great one. But uh, no, Comic-Con episode four, A Fan's Hope. For anybody who hasn't seen it, it's kind of Morgan Spurlock who directed, um, you know, he's the filmmaker behind like Super Size Me. And um, he's had a couple other uh, pretty cool films, but this movie, basically what he did is he picked, it was like four or five different people who were going to Can- uh, San Diego Comic-Con one year, and he just followed them around and sort of documented their uh, their trip to the convention. And each each person he focused on was kind of trying to accomplish something. So, like, one person he was following was, like, a hardcore collector who was trying to hunt down certain collectibles and some, and one person he was following was like a cosplayer who was like trying to win the co- uh, costume contest. And then there was like, you know, somebody who was like a comic artist who was trying to land a job. And it's, it's one of those really, it's just really entertaining. Like the reason this pick makes an honorable mention for me is almost solely for the fact that I don't know why, but when this came out, I watched it a lot of times and uh, I don't want to dwell on this one too much, but I think it's on an old episode of uh, the Nerdist. Um, I feel like it's the episode where on the Nerdist where they were um, interviewing Morgan Spurlock. Uh, Chris Hardwick had a pretty interesting comment on this movie where he said, if you ever know somebody who doesn't understand why you're into comic books or nerd culture or pop culture or whatever. Like if somebody doesn't understand your fandom, 
you could literally sit them down and show them this movie, and by the end, they would understand where you're coming from. And I thought that was kind of a really true thing, and that's kind of why I really like this movie. So, Yeah, I got you there. That makes sense. Um, okay. Our first actual picks. Oh, no, I have one more honorable mention. Um, <laughs> my honorable mention, this is a really weird one. Awesome. I love uh, the weird ones. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the movie Tickled. Do you know what this is? No. Do I want to know what it is? <laughs> I'm gonna t- Wait, is this about Tickle Me Elmo? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> this, I'm going to tell you this. You don't have to watch the documentary if you don't want to. After I tell you what it's about, you're going to go, what? But I'm going to tell you, at the very least, you have to watch the trailer. Because it's going to blow your mind because you're not really going to be sure what the movie's about. Um, and because of the trailer, I had to watch this. So essentially, Tickled is about a tickling competition where the whole point is to, like, someone is like has themselves, like, tied down and they are tickled until they can't handle it anymore. And it all comes down to how long can you last being tickled. There is – the documentary is all about this really – dark, like, hidden culture that is in tickling. And Mm -hmm. the filmmakers, when they were putting this together, it starts out as a regular documentary, and then they notice that they're being followed, and people are trying to stop the movie from being made, and they're trying to film this, and, like, it becomes this crazy, like, hidden society kind of thing. (laughs) I'm telling you, at the very least, you got to watch the trailer and be like, what is this movie? (laughs) It's weird. Um, I believe it's an HBO documentary. Um, seriously, check it out. It, if you don't check it out, at the very least, watch the trailer. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but so, <laughs> it kind of blew my mind when I watched it. So I feel like that description might turn a lot of people off, but m- me personally hearing <laughs> that, I feel like I need to watch this movie. This sounds crazy. Right. Um, it all, almost... It's, I don't know, like, I haven't watched it yet. Hearing your description, I almost feel like it sounds like it's a scripted story. And that's making me curious, too. Like, is it, are these true life events actually as crazy as what you just said? But that sounds, that sounds really awesome and probably the worst way possible. But that sounds, I think I'm going to have to watch this one. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, yeah, it's, it's really weird. Check it out. It's called Tickled. Um, I believe the, uh, they believe the poster is just a feather. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's weird. And it's like, yeah, I don't even know where to begin. Just just watch the trailer. I almost have no words. So, um, <laughs> okay. Um, first actual picks of the night. Yeah, so um, speaking of weird, I'll go with one of the more weird out there picks on my list. Um, and I went with this movie um, that I saw a while back called uh, Surfwise. Are you familiar with this at all, Drew? No. Okay, I, I was hoping not. I, I wasn't sure because um, we're not going to match a lot. The ones we do match, we're going to know. The ones we don't yeah. match, it's going to be like we're not going to know what each other are about. <laughs> I have a feeling. I have a feeling. There's only one on my list that you might not know about, but the rest of them you know about the movie. So, okay, anyway. awesome. So the movie Surfwise is about this um, professional surfer named uh, Doc Paskowitz, and I feel like he was a professional surfer in like the 70s or early 80s. Like it's it's it was pretty 
pretty far while back, but he essentially was this professional surfer who traveled the world doing surf competitions and stuff. And uh, along his travels, he ended up falling in love with a woman, you know, as he's traveling doing this and they get married. And basically what they ended up doing with their life is they moved back to America, bought a motorhome, and just chose to live off of the grid for the rest of their lives. So essentially he had kids, you know, they had a family and they just literally traveled the country, never put the kids in school, never had like a normal job. He just kind of did odd jobs to get by as they traveled town to town. And they had this just really weird, and I say weird as in it's just not of the norm, not that I'm like judging it, but it was just a very abnormal lifestyle. Um, and it's kind of one of those things where I watched this movie, I want to say it was like, around like 2008, 2009, so probably around 13, 14 years ago. And it was kind of this movie that it kind of embraced the sort of tiny house uh, style of living before that really became a thing, if that makes sense. And uh, it's one of those movies where it's one of those things where a friend in college like lent me the DVD and was like, dude, you got to check this out. And I watched it. And uh, even though I've watched the movie and I obviously haven't embraced the lifestyle that this man had for his family, it is one of those things that you watch and it makes you question. It made me question a lot of things where it's like, do you really need all these things that like modern society makes you feel like you need? So it's like, do you really need a house? You know, do you need like, you know, your picture perfect, typical suburban lifestyle or, you know, you can really do whatever you want in this world. And I think that's what I like about this movie is it's kind of freeing. And the fact that like, yeah, like my lifestyle isn't anything like this doc Paskowitz character did with his life, but it does make you look at things differently, kind of in a similar way that like you watch a movie like fight club and it makes you question like, do I really need to buy all the Ikea furniture and decorate my apartment? Nice. Or, you know, can I, kind of just go go my my own way and do my own thing and that's really the spirit of this of this movie that personally I really always appreciated was it makes you I guess second guess things or take things with a grain of salt in the best way if that makes sense yeah. um yeah so that that's kind of why I picked this one it's just and it's it's a movie that I watched once like I haven't watched it since but it's something that you know I've talked about this on the show like I watched this movie once but I still think about it decently often you know if that makes sense so it's right. it's it's a great th- film i think everybody should watch it once um just for the fact that it might um i guess it's just like a, it was a mind-opening experience to me personally so sure. yeah well that's usually what these movies end up being um all right so my first one is batman and bill um oh great pick which is the uh bill finger documentary yeah um, <clears throat> if you did we match on this? I was wondering if we did. No, um, I have seen You're this. Just like, no, I, I forgot did, about I, it. <laughs> yeah, I kind of did, but no, this is a great pick. So, um, No, so Batman and Bill, look, famously Batman was created by Bob Kane. Um, and then for the longest time, what people didn't know, because Bob Kane was so, I created Batman, I'm the creator of Batman, I'm the creator of Batman, kind of jammed it down everyone's throats. What you find out is that, what everybody found out at one point is that Bob Kane came up with the name 
and kind of a goofy rendition of a guy in a red costume with a black cape that looks like a bat <laughs> and like a little domino mask. And he's like, he's Batman. Um, Bill Finger is the guy who teamed up with him to go, yeah, let's make this a thing. Bill Finger came up with the actual costume. He came up with yeah. the cave. He came up with Alfred, the Batmobile, Robin, Joker. He basically came up with everything. All Bob Kane did was create the name and the idea that he dresses like a bat. Bill Finger covered everything else. And Bob Kane reached, reaped the benefits of it for decades. Yeah. And eventually the Bill Finger's estate and his family kind of fought for him to get the rights that he deserved. Um, and then the very first, the very first, uh, project that said Batman created by, uh, Bob Kane with Bill Finger was Batman vs Superman. Um, and it's in the credits at the beginning. Um, so that's the first time that was recognized and ever since Bill Finger's getting his credit and now it's kind of becoming Bill, and I feel like if you talk to the right people, Bill Finger creator Batman. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, but, um, it, the documentary is absolutely amazing. I knew a good chunk of it going into the documentary, but it was such an amazing story to watch through. So I don't know if you have anything to add, but. Yeah, no, this, this was just a great documentary. Um, and I kind of approached it the same way you did, Drew, where I knew a lot of the backstory, but it was really cool to watch. And if I remember correctly, there's actually, it kind of ends on a really heartwarming note as far as uh, Bill Finger and his family finally getting the recognition and compensation and stuff that they deserve. Um, yeah. And it's, it's one of those things. I mean, it's like without Bob Kane, we wouldn't have Batman, but really what it is is without Bill Finger, we really wouldn't have had Batman because <laughs> it's one of those things where Bob Kane created the character, but almost everything that people know and love about this character was actually created by Bill Finger. And it I makes agree. you wonder, like, what really you're saying? Bob Kane just came up with the name and the idea that he's a crime fighter. Yeah. You know, Bill Finger covered all the rest of it on his own. Absolutely. And I, that's what I was going to say is I wonder if if Bill Finger wasn't in, involved, would Batman have just become like another one of these forgotten golden age superheroes that nobody probably. really cares about nowadays? You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. Yeah. So but it's it's awesome to see that. Uh, yeah, that Bill Finger's finally getting the recognition that he's deserved for so long. And uh, yeah, this was a great pick. So, yeah. All right, man. What's your next one? What do you got? Yeah. So my next one um, is I don't know if you've seen this, Drew, but I went with uh, King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Uh, <laughs> this movie is fantastic. Um, and <laughs> boy, did I want to play King Kong after I saw that movie. So <laughs> or Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong, yeah. Um, so King King of Kong is essentially about there's this guy named uh, Steve Weeby who is kind of he was a guy who I think he was like on disability leave from his job and it was one of the, these things where he had some time off of work and he needed to do something like he needed something to occupy his time and he was kind of like well I always liked playing Donkey Kong why don't I go for the world record of <laughs> highest donkey kong score and that's essentially what he did is he bought an old donkey kong machine and sat in his garage and played it and uh you know got his graph paper out and drew all all the level grids out and figured out all the sort of tricks so that he could kind of become this donkey kong master and uh eventually he did 
get the high score in Donkey Kong and he filmed it and he submitted it to uh Twin Galaxies which is kind of the uh kind of authority on arcade game world records and stuff and he didn't realize it but when he submitted that tape he was entered in this whole world of arcade game competition and fanatics and stuff that he wasn't necessarily expecting but it became this thing where a lot of people thought that he faked the tape and he kind of had to like start proving himself to that uh sort of circle of uh arcade game gurus if you will but it's also funny because there's this other guy named Billy Mitchell who is the sort of previous record holder for uh Donkey Kong and there's this whole like there's this whole sort of competition that plays out throughout the movie with it's Steve Weeby trying to prove his right that like, no, I actually did set this world record. And uh, Billy Mitchell kind of takes on like a villain role in the whole throughout the whole thing. And yeah. uh, it's kind of funny because I've heard people say like, yeah, I liked King of Kong, but they really painted like Billy Mitchell and Twin Galaxies in a bad light in that movie. But if you follow it, like if you pay attention to more recent stories about Billy Mitchell, it actually seems that I might be wrong, but I feel like I heard you know, within the last few years that he was actually caught cheating um, on yeah, certain things that he set records for. So it's one of those things where I think the movie does age really well because I think it kind of just, it shows that the conclusion that like Steve Weeby's really the good guy in this whole scenario, it seems that that conclusion has actually aged a lot better than you would have even imagined, which is pretty awesome. But what I will say about this movie the reason why I like it is you should watch this and you should watch this movie with your friends because this is a story of an underdog. It is a great competition story. This is a movie that you're going to watch and afterwards you're going to feel pumped up. Like you're going to be ready to go take on the world. And as as silly as it sounds that a movie about a video game like competition like this would do that. No, it seriously does. It definitely delivers on the pump up factor. So I definitely highly recommend this movie to anybody who's interested. Yeah. Agreed. And I have no words. Like you, <laughs> like you cover it. Like there's nothing else I can say about the movie. Um, <laughs> absolutely. No, I absolutely love King of Kong. And um, it really makes you want to play Donkey Kong so bad when it's over with. And I remember being in an arcade it was really dead. I was there for like a birthday party, like and my kid got invited to a birthday party and it was like everyone it was like fifteen bucks and you could just play for free, right? And yeah. The Donkey Kong machine was fairly close to like the main counter. And there wasn't a lot of people in there because they basically had the whole place to themselves for this arcade, for this birthday party. And they told the adults they could all stick around and play. They're like, We're planning on the adults hanging out. And I'm the only adult who stayed and was like, I'll play video games. Um, uh. <laughs> so, and I made a joke and I sat down in front of the Donkey Kong machine and I said, if I get a kill screen, do you want me to let you know? And I laughed and he goes, and he laughed too. And then he goes, seriously, if you do get a high score, I need to know. Cause we're national. We, we have all the national rankings and we post them and all that stuff. I was nice. like, crap. And he showed me the scoreboard and it was like a legit live board connected with like multiple arcades and everything. And I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and then I did nothing but play Donkey Kong for the entire party. <laughs> oh, nice. That's uh, awesome. So yeah, and I got I got fairly I got pretty far, but not like Steve Weeby far. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> well, the funny oh. thing they talk about this in the movie too is that the average game of Donkey Kong is 
I think they say is less than 15 seconds. Like the average person lasts less than 15 seconds playing Donkey Kong because you don't realize that it actually is a really hard game. Um, but once you start getting into the groove with it, it's really, really fun yeah. as well. So I got, I got this, like, I don't want to say worlds, but like you do X amount of boards and then there's like a right. mini boss fight kind of board. And then it goes to the next board. And I got through three rounds of that, like in like the time that I was sitting there playing. Um, so nice. I got, I got far, just not, you know, as far as some of the, like the experts, <laughs> um, okay, uh, moving on. Um, the next one, this comes into me being the pop culture behind the scenes stuff. Um, the documentary is called The Death of Superman Lives. Um, <laughs> well, we, we matched on this okay. one. I think, I honestly <laughs> figured we would have. This is a, this is a goofy documentary because when you hear the story, you're just like, wait, what happened? This, this, there's no way. This sounds really far-fetched. And the weirder the story gets, the more far-fetched it sounds, and then you get more curious, so you watch the documentary. Um, they were supposed to make Tim Burton after this, after Batman and Batman or after Batman 89, Tim Burton was supposed to do a Superman story. And then he did Batman Returns and they decided that Batman Returns was too dark and Tim Burton's taking it in a direction they didn't want to. So they never made Tim Burton movie called Superman Lives. And apparently in the Superman Lives movie, it was going to like cover Brainiac and uh, Nicolas Cage was going to be Superman, and it was this whole big thing. There are test footage of Nicolas Cage. You could actually Google Nicolas Cage Superman and get some footage of, get some images of what he was supposed to look like and the costume. Um, and um, Nicolas Cage is a massive Superman fan, so hearing that he was going to be attached to it is kind of cool. Um, but the, the, a draft of the script was written by Kevin Smith. And Kevin Smith kept turning him down, saying, I shouldn't be writing this. And then the producers were like, had ideas like, well, at the end of the movie, he's got to fight a giant spider. And then there were people going, no, we're not going to make the movie if that's the case. So that producer went off and made uh, Wild Wild West. And we all know how that movie ended with a giant <laughs> spider. Um, the uh, the movie just it just got weirder and weirder as you went. I did find out that the guy who made the documentary Death of Superman Lives was looking into the um, uh, Justice League movie that got scrapped, the one with Army Hammer playing Batman. Oh, crazy. And he was looking into it, and then the filmmaker passed away. So that movie sits dormant. Um, so I don't know if we'll ever get that one. But uh, Death of Superman Lives, I figured we mashed on it. This It's such a cool story. And the weirder it gets, the more exciting the story gets. And it's like, man, I... Yeah, it's like, ooh, I kind of want to see this, but we're never going to get to see Superman Lives, so. Yeah, it's... They should release it in a comic book, in my opinion, but... It's one of those cool behind-the-scenes movies where you really do get a good glimpse on how... Like how like how Hollywood works from a behind-the-scenes, like, production standpoint of, like... Yeah, just, like, from the ground up how does a movie get made and all the ridiculous sort of uh, stipulations and uh, incidents that might occur that might, you know, deter you from your final goal. But watching this movie, I remember having this thought that like, I want to see more documentaries like this. Like I want to see more movies about movies that never were made. because <laughs> This was really entertaining and really cool. Um, a couple of the other highlights that I'd like to point out is just, they show a ton of, uh, 
concept art from the possible Superman movie that that could have been made. And that's just really cool to see. Like, there's some really cool depictions of uh, Doomsday was going to be make an appearance in this movie. And some of the Doomsday drawings are just really crazy, but in like a really cool way. And uh, it's one of those movies that I feel like you hear about this, this movie and you're like, okay, Tim Burton was going to make a Superman movie and it was going to be starring Nicolas Cage. And most people kind of scoff at that. But I feel like after watching The Death of Superman Lives, you're kind of left with the impression, like, I wish this movie was made because it actually sounds like it would have been pretty cool. And that's the interesting part yeah. about it. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to touch on is uh, Kevin Smith used to do, like, sort of, I don't know if you want to call it, like, stand-up uh appearances or like just Q&As but he has like a couple DVDs that are like uh an even an evening with Kevin Smith and he has a couple of sequels to that uh that you know DVD concept and uh he always he actually tells the story of Superman Lives in one of those evening with Kevin Smith um DVD specials however you want to phrase it but it was kind of cool to, because I saw an evening with Kevin Smith before I saw this movie and it was kind of cool to see Kevin Smith's telling of the story, you know, in his in his own format. And then seeing this actual movie, which did show Kevin Smith's side of the story, but it also showed the other people involved. You know, you got to hear what Tim Burton thought of Kevin Smith's script. And you got to hear what uh, John Peters, who is like the main producer on this movie, um, like his side of the story too. And that was a really neat aspect of this whole film as well. So, yeah. Um, I guess that rolls back to me. That doesn't. It? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> um, all right. So my pick is a documentary called Raiders, the story of the greatest fan film ever made. Do you know what this is? Um, Indiana Jones? Yeah, but have you know oh, what yeah. this documentary is? <laughs> I don't think I've seen the fan film. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen the documentary for sure. So. Well, I have not seen the fan film. Um, I've only seen the documentary, but the documentary makes me want to see the fan film. So it's about these two kids who saw Raiders of the Lost Ark and said this is the greatest movie on the face of the planet, and we're going to make our own version of Indiana Jones. And cool. set out at the age of 13 using all their allowance and paper money and all that stuff. And they start making Raiders of the Lost Ark shot for shot. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. <laughs> 13 year olds making Raiders of the Lost Ark shot for shot. And they spent money on props and they spent money on costumes. They, they did everything they could to remake the movie. And then I guess the boys had a falling out. Like, it was the uh, two best friends, and they had a falling out with each other, and they stopped talking, and the movie laid dormant, and they never finished it. And they did everything, and, like, they they kind of did it growing up, so it was, like, 13 into their, like, early 20s, I guess, or, like, late teens, early 20s, is when they stopped. And apparently, Eli Roth found got a copy of the film, someone gave him a copy of the film, and um, turned it over to Harry Knowles from com and said, hey, when you're doing your big, because uh, Harry Knowles does a huge 24-hour, um, he calls it the button a -thon, 
and it's a, 20, <laughs> it's a it's a 24 hour film festival where they just show movies for 24 hours straight and Harry Knowles picks the lineup and they watch them sometimes they're really obscure sometimes they're really amazing like you'll get like your Avengers Endgame but then you'll get something like super obscure and weird and then you'll get like weird horror movie and then you'll get something big like a hey we got a pre screening of Top Gun two and then you'll do something weird again like it's that all that sounds awesome right and. Uh, Eli Roth gave him a copy of Raiders, uh, this, uh, Raiders thing, and he's like, that sounds amazing, we all need to watch this. Apparently, yeah. when, um, Harry Knowles aired it, um, it got like a standing ovation, and everyone was like, where are these kids, they gotta finish the movie, because there was one scene that never got shot, and it was the scene with the airplane, uh, the fist fight with the airplane. They never right. shot that, they never shot that part. So because of Eli Roth and Harry Knowles getting hands on it, it made them find the filmmakers, get them to reunited, the friendship back together, and we're going to help you guys finish this and do the final shots of the film. And they hooked up like a whole state. They literally staged the whole thing so they could finally shoot the fan, the scene with the airplane. But it's the entire film shot for shot. <laughs> um so yeah, the and like I would watch the documentary for sure, but it's gonna make you go, well, I want to see the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's a really really cool story, and ultimately it's a story about friendship and these two boys just falling in love with something and like sharing it with each other and then creating this thing together. Um, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's it sounds really wholesome and uh, heartwarming, but it also just sounds like. It just sounds really cool and interesting, and it's one of those things where it's like it's a fan fame film that's like shot for sh- a shot for shot version of a different film, and it essentially sounds like something inconsequential, but at the same time not because it made this this awesome documentary, but also like the impact it had on these people's lives and stuff. And yeah, that sounds yeah. really cool. I'll definitely have to check it out. Yeah, I believe it's on Netflix. Oh. Um, that's cool. If that helps, I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's on Netflix. Um, so yeah. Um, all right, man. What's your next one? We're at two more picks each. Yeah, my next one. Um, this one's a pretty weird one. Um, Drew, I don't know if you've heard of this movie. I went with the movie's called Who the Bleep is Jackson Pollock. <laughs> Have you seen this, or do you know what this is? <sighs> I think I know what this okay. is. Okay. I'm actually glad because I was hoping you wouldn't because this one's like a fun one. Are you familiar with the artist Jackson Pollock at all? Uh, yes. Okay. So for anybody who doesn't know, Jackson Pollock's like, he's an artist who does, he's really famous for what a lot of people would call drip paintings where he would have like a giant canvas, like a giant blank canvas laying on the floor and he would dip his paintbrush in a thing of paint and he would kind of walk along the pal- the canvas and just let paint from his paintbrush drip onto the canvas. And he would do that for hours with different colors and stuff. And it would end up creating this really kind of crazy image that's just a bunch of different paint just splattered all over the place in different directions. And he's kind of like a big name and like sort of the art world and the sort of like abstract expressionist world. And he's kind of, uh, as far as like art history goes and stuff, he's one of the most well-regarded modern artists and stuff. But the movie who the bleep is, is Jackson Pollock is insanely entertaining because 
the movie's about a woman who I actually looked it up, but her name is Terry Horton, and she is a truck driver, and she is kind of like, if you imagine old lady truck driver, it this lady just fits the bill 100%. She's exactly what you would expect. But this is a woman who, on one of her days off, she went to a thrift store or a secondhand store or whatever, and she found a painting in the store, and uh, it looked like a Jackson Pollock, but she had no idea who Jackson Pollock was, and she just thought it was an ugly, dumb-looking painting, but it was for a cheap price, and she thought, I'm going to buy this painting and go home with it, because it was only like $20 or less, and it was one of those things where she got home and she called one of her friends and she's like, hey, you got to check this out. I bought the ugliest painting I've ever seen. And her and her friend came over and they just, you know, had a beer and laughed looking at the painting. And they made jokes about throwing darts at it and stuff. And uh, it's one of those things where somebody that this lady know, knows saw it and said, where did you get this? And she's like, oh, I got it at the secondhand store. And they're like you know, this looks like a Jackson Pollock. And, you know, she responds, who the bleep is Jackson Pollock? And that's where the story begins, where she finds out, like, oh, this Sitting might on actually... A yeah, exactly. Like, this might be a long-lost Jackson Pollock painting. So she starts taking it to art appraisers and stuff. And it's just this crazy... It's taking this lady who's just this normal trucker lady and bringing her into this weird abyss of the art world. And uh, it's interesting because of, like, her personality. There's a lot of people in the art world who don't uh, take her seriously and stuff. And they try to give her prices to buy this painting that's much lower than it's probably worth. And there's a whole, like, forensic aspect of this documentary where they examine the painting and there's even like a partial fingerprint on part of it that seems to match Jackson Pollock. But it's one of those things where you watch through the movie and it's like 90% sure that this painting is a Jackson Pollock painting, but it's not 100% guaranteed, but this lady is stubborn and she is not going to sell this thing for less than it's worth. So there's people who are offering her like millions of dollars to buy this painting. And she's like, no, I'm not going to sell this painting for $5 million. I know it's worth $20 million. <laughs> And it's just the craziest story. But you watch it and it's so entertaining because it kind of points out a lot of the hypocrisy and ridiculous of the sort of high fine art world and it's taking this lady who is just a completely normal person and she's kind of like your she's almost like your sit in through the situation where you can relate to this lady even more than the ridiculous like art critics and art historians and stuff that she talks to but this one is just like this is a fun ride this is a movie that would definitely be amazing to watch with friends like it's just so good and uh the last thing i'll say about this movie is it has one of the best opening lines i've ever seen in a film and that line is and i might have this it might not be word for word but it's essentially the movie begins with a voiceover of terry talking and she says i'm going to tell you a story and when most people begin a story they begin it with the words once upon a time but when a trucker tells you a story it begins with you ain't never going to believe this shit. <laughs> then the movie goes from there. And uh, it's awesome. I highly recommend this one. Awesome. Um, yes, I have not seen that. Um, I do, as you talked about it, I do remember hearing about it. Um, so, yes, it is on the 
list of things nice. to watch. Um, okay, my next one is, again, also in the art world, um, and that's a movie called Exit Through the Gift Shop. Have you seen oh, this? Oh, nice. I still haven't seen this, and it's horrible, because really? I need to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's like my kind of film. It's right up my alley, and I've it never is. watched it, which is horrible. Um, <laughs> this is probably one of my all-time favorite documentary films, and it's basically the story of a guy who wants to do a documentary about street artists and graffiti art and stuff like that. And he starts yeah. going around all these guys, and they have to do it very, very guerrilla style running around trying to uh they they cuz it's everything they're doing is illegal so they're getting their supplies and everything and they're plotting their like I guess you like it like it's like a heist we got to plot it out and they're basically just putting a ladder up against the building so they can climb really high and do graffiti on the thing you know um but it's really it starts out kind of cool and you're just kind of along for the ride it's exciting and watching these guys like oh crap cops are coming we got to run and you know that kind of stuff but they're the meaning behind their art and what they're trying to express and all that stuff. And like worlds are canvas and blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the filmmaker starts getting into the idea of he wants to be a try it out, try out the graffiti art and stuff. And he gets obsessed in the weirdest way. And that's when the documentary takes a turn and you have to start asking yourself who's actually making the documentary and, um, who's actually the filmmaker because the flip film flips and turns on this guy. And when you watch the stuff that he's putting out, there are some very, very famous pieces of pieces of art that you're going to be like, Oh my God, I remember seeing that. Or, Oh my God, that was the cover of the time magazine. Or, Oh my God, that was, you know, you'll see stuff. And you're like, I remember, you know, like it's, it's art that you're, you're going to go, Whoa, I did not see that coming. It's a really, really cool uh, movie. And that's where we got, I think, where Banksy kind of became a household name. Right. Because he's one of the graffiti artists that they talk to, um, or street artists, I should say, that they talk to. And, uh, yeah, um, that's where, that's where he, that's where he came from. This was nominated for a, uh, best documentary, uh, one year at the Oscars. It did not win. And I think it's, and after seeing the movie compared to some of the other documentaries, I, I kind of disagree, but whatever. So, right. but yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen this movie yet, but you really should. I think everybody should because it's just it's such a cool story. But yeah, absolutely, I definitely need to watch this. And um, like, uh, it obviously has made a huge cultural impact. Like, I hear people talking about this all the time, and I feel like the Oscars might have been off the pulse a little bit with not uh, making letting this one win. You know what I mean? Sure. Sure. Well, anyway, Sweet. what's your uh, last one for the night, man? Yeah, my final pick. Um, this is really probably my, my favorite documentary I've ever seen. And uh, this, it's this movie called The Image Revolution. And, Drew, I don't know if you've seen this one or not, but this is essentially just uh-huh. the story. What were you going to say? I don't know. Okay. This one. this one is essentially the story of Image Comics. Um, it's the story about... In the early 90s, you had a handful of the top artists at Marvel who weren't happy at working for Marvel, and they quit and started their own comic book company. And it was something that had never really been done before, but they really made a huge mark on the comic book industry. You know, this is, I mean, it's Image Comics. We know we got, like, Spawn from this. We got... Wildcats, Cyberforce, The Max, Pit, like a bunch of just really cool characters. But also, like, these are people, you know, these are like some of, to this day, some of the greatest artists, you know, Todd McFarlane, Jim Lee, Mark Silvestri. And the thing is, like, 
they didn't just start their own company. They also changed the game. You know, they made comics start being printed on better paper and they made the artists across the industry get more recognition and get more compensation for their work and stuff like that. And this is just a cool, a really cool story um, or really cool documentary because it really shows how like this group of artists decided to quit the mainstream and kind of do their own thing and watching it. I just, I think it's so badass. Like these are, you know, some of my absolute favorite artists. And uh, I just feel so inspired watching this movie. And this is a documentary that I heard about. And it was one of those things where it was like, I need to order this on Amazon right away. Like I wasn't going to wait to find it streaming somewhere. It was just like, I have to see this, you know, Um, but it's really awesome, Drew. And like, I can let you borrow this sometime because it's just, it's a really, really cool film. Um, The other aspect that I love about this movie and kind of the story of the old image guys is that it's this movie shows it a little bit where I think you don't understand it, but like, or most people don't understand it, but like back then, like these artists were kind of like rock stars essentially in the comic book world. Like people really like were worshiping like Todd McFarlane and Rob Liefeld and stuff like that. And stuff like that is just not heard of at all anymore. So it's kind of a cool glimpse back into the, you know, the early nineties where comic book artists could make millions of dollars and stuff like that. So that's a cool aspect of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that sounds really interesting. And I don't think I knew about this at all. So um, I definitely have made note to watch it later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, so my final one for the night, and this is probably my favorite documentary. I've watched it uh, several times, um, and it is on Disney Plus if anyone would like to watch it. I heard this. I haven't watched it off of Disney Plus yet, um, and I heard there's, like, something that did get removed for content, but I can't think about what that is. Um, is the uh, It's called The Empire of Dreams, and yes. it's, you know, me being the massive Star Wars fan that I am, um, this is not just like the making of Star Wars, it's the making of Lucasfilm, if you will. And it's, it's more of the story of how Star Wars came to be in the realm of a corporation and a company and George trying to make his vision real and all that stuff. It's such a cool story to sit and listen to and, you know, um, it's, it's one thing where you can go, yeah, you know what, I, I, I like the Star Wars movies, they were okay, I've seen them. It's something else to watch this movie and have an understanding of the impact that it had. Um, and we talk about the impact all the time because, you know, we're a little biased and, you know, I, I don't want to say I'm a Star Wars apologist, but I get it. And it's, I, I don't think, it's kind of like this. Where I say I get it with the Harry Potter franchise, um, it's not, it doesn't have the impact, in my opinion, the way Star Wars had the impact, especially back in the seven, late 70s. And then carry that to today in terms of the longevity of the film. Forty-some years later, we're still talking about Star Wars. I'm not talking me, just me, us. I'm talking like everyone is still talking about Star Wars. And we got Obi-Wan Kenobi dropping in like a couple weeks. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, Empire of Dreams kind of shows you where it all started, and it's such a cool documentary. But seeing... Some of that, like, stuff that you were always wondered about, you know, like, under, like, when they, when I say, when I make a comment on this show about how they had to rewrite the book of special effects, 
they had to rewrite the book of special effects, and the majority of those special effects didn't exist, and they had to invent them as they went. And that's one of the reasons why it's so groundbreaking, and this documentary tells the whole story of all of it. So I absolutely, absolutely. Love, I absolutely love this documentary. I can't say enough about it, but I could, we could do a whole show just on this documentary, So, or at least I could. Yeah, uh, I mean, well, you're really – just to comment on how you're saying like Star Wars really has that super long staying power. I really would just want to point out you haven't seen Avatar 2, The Way of the Water yeah, yet. You know what? That is a, <laughs> that is a huge point there. Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have seen this documentary. It's awesome. It's um, your description. I feel like you had a really good assessment of it, but you also haven't even scratched the surface. And it's just one of those things you need to watch. But um, it's one of those things that, like, I loved watching this movie and really seeing it does such good justice to uh, displaying George Lucas's story and uh, kind of how he brought his dreams to life, if you will. And uh, it's one of these movies, like, I'll say it, like, this movie got me just as pumped up as uh King of Kong, a fistful of quarters, but maybe in more of a uh, introspective sort of way, which was really awesome. So, uh, yeah. yeah, this is an awesome pick. It almost made my list, but I had a couple other movies that just edged it I out. But expected us call. To, I expected us to match on this, and then I expected us to match on uh, Batman and Bill. But, hey, you know. <laughs> we, we matched on Death of Superman, so yeah, Death yeah, of yeah. Superman lives. So, yeah, wow. that's uh, interesting. But I do like the ver- the variety between our lists. So. Well, I feel like you brought more of a variety than I did, but that's okay. Um, your pick next week, man. What are we doing? Yeah, so I know we've been running long, and I had a roundabout way of coming to my pick, and I'm going to try to keep this as short as possible, but... This is one of those weeks I've been busy and I was having a lot of trouble figuring out what list I wanted to do. And I had a roundabout way of figuring it out. But in uh, my office, like where I work in my house, I've got a on the doorknob. There's a bunch of uh, uh, lanyards from different conventions I've been to hanging on there. So I've got a ton of like. Anime Central, like Chicago Comic-Con, C2E2, like all these lanyards with these little, you know, convention badges sitting on them. And uh, my kid, uh, my son discovered those the other day and he started playing with them. And, and, you know, he likes looking at the pictures like, oh, this one has Batman on it. Oh, this one has, you know, a werewolf or, you know, whatever the promo image they have for the lanyard is on there. And uh, I didn't realize this, but he stole one of the lanyards and uh, he stole it because it had a cool looking robot on it. And I found it in a different room in my house and I was like, okay, I had no idea that he took this, but that's funny. And uh, I couldn't think of this week's list, but I looked at the year and it was from C2E2 2014. And that's why I want to do next week our top five movies from the year 2014 and i'm pretty yeah. certain we haven't done that list yet because i looked up the movies and i'm pretty certain we haven't talked about them but it's kind of a recent year but it's also like a year where there's just a lot of random cool movies and stuff going on so i think this would be a fun list to talk about fair enough and what's funny is is there's nothing wrong with pulling a year and just do a quick check of our list lists uh, we have not done 2014 yet right it kind of falls in the crack cracks between different years that we've done but yeah this will i think there's some good stuff that came out this year so it'll be fun um all right awesome well that brings us to um the end of this week's list it brings us the end of the show let's toss this one in the can because yes we ran much longer than i thought we were going (laughs) right that's okay all that cinemacon news um 
All right, so everyone, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Um, you can hit us up there. Social media, either way works. Um, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. Um, you uh, can also leave us a review, which we understand criticism. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better, and it makes the words you say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter? Yeah, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I'll be releasing a documentary about the making of the same documentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, um, for the uh, top five report, um, I am Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.